Hello, and welcome to the Early American Brass Band Podcast. I'm Chris Troiano, joined always by Stephen Canastracy. Hello. This is episode 40. This is our season two finale. And today we're having a panel discussion with four members from the field who are also previous guests of the Early American Brass Band Podcast. Today we're joined by Yari Lundueva from the Federal City Brass Band, Jeff Stockham from the Excelsior Cornet Band, Bob Backus from Old Town Brass, and David Goins from Saxton's Cornet Band. So we're really excited to have these four guests on today where we'll be discussing uh, how COVID and the last year and a half, how the pandemic has affected everybody's music making, has affected their bands, and how they think that the pandemic and COVID has affected the early American brass band community and its future. So a really nice conversation. It's great having these four guys together and being able to have this conversation. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of a, a retrospective look and then also kind of looking forward to what comes what comes next, what comes after, what is it, like 85% of people are fully vaccinated or <laughs> when we can move on to not thinking about COVID every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, so we think you'll enjoy it. And as always, if you like what you're hearing on the show, you can support us on Patreon uh, and Teespring. Those are the two ways to do it uh, if you want to throw some dollars our way. But we also appreciate any support on all of our social media platforms and our YouTube page. You know, giving a like and a share on any of that stuff uh, really goes a long way to helping the show out and spreading it to uh, new audiences who might not yet know about it. So we really appreciate everything, all the support online on all the social media platforms as well. And speaking of Patreon, we'd like to give a, a big shout out to our five friends over on that platform. So we've got uh, Trevor T, Rucha T, James C, Dominic G, and Natalie S. Uh, We really appreciate their uh, support over on Patreon. Um, And if you want to join over there, uh, we'll have links on in the show notes to our Patreon page, but you can just go to patreon.com slash EABB podcast and we should pop right up and you can check out what tier works for you. And we greatly appreciate any support you're willing to give over there. Without any further ado, here is our panel discussion for our season two finale of the Early American Brass Band podcast. Enjoy. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today for episode 40 of the Early American Brass Band podcast. This is our season two finale, and we're extremely excited and honored to have four previous guests and good friends of the show on this panel discussion with us today where we'll be talking about uh, early American brass bands and how the last year and a half with the COVID pandemic has affected uh, the music making and community there. So today with us, I'll just go on my screen here. We have David Goins from Saxton's Cornet Band, Bob Backus from Old Town Brass, Yari Villanueva from Federal City Brass Band, and Jeff Stockham from the Excelsior Cornet Band. So guys, thank you so much for coming out today. I thought where we might like to start this discussion is kind of talking about how now that the the light is at the end of the tunnel to some degree, we're able to kind of see where the end might be in sight. We can start getting a little bit reflective about what a, a crazy year and a half or so this has been. Um, so being able to first kind of talk about how the last year and a half has influenced and affected our personal own individual music making on our respective horns and possibly with gigs and stuff. Jeff, do you have any anecdotes or or any thoughts on how this last year has affected you specifically? 
Well, um, after uh, after uh, March a year ago, the bottom completely dropped out of my work. Uh, I, I've had, I don't know, maybe seven gigs in the last, over the last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of which have been, have been uh, socially distanced uh, you know, concerts or, or a few club dates, wedding ceremonies, things like that. But that's it. Um, as far as the cornet band goes, uh, basically, it uh, dropped off the map. Uh, yeah. there, there's been no you know, no work of any sort for, for my group. Mm-hmm. Uh, the work that we did have booked was canceled, and we haven't had any new bookings come in. And yeah. uh, we actually lost one of our band members to COVID. Uh, oh, wow. Well, sorry ago. to hear that. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Bass drummer. Gotcha. So it's it's pretty much uh, you know, pulled the plug on things for this group yeah and with your work as a primarily a freelancer uh with this drop off of gigs and stuff how have you found uh the your motivation to to keep playing the horn has been have you been able to stay motivated and keep your chops off or has there been Um, kind of a little fall off with that (laughs) it's been difficult i you know i i'm at the point in my life where i need a motivation to put the horn on my face to begin with when i'm playing four or five nights a week that's plenty of motivation. I get plenty of FaceTime on the instrument. Uh, mm-hmm. When I have, you know, when I have nothing for months in a row, the horn sits on the stand. Yeah. And uh, I've been, you know, I've been working my chops up over the last few weeks because I have some work coming up, some gigs. Coming awesome. Up. Yeah, yeah, that light at the end of the tunnel is yeah, coming exactly. with some gigs as well, <laughs> which is nice. Yeah, definitely. Uh, how about you, David? How is uh, how has the last year been with uh, with your horn and and playing specifically? Well, as soon as I can find it, I'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> I put it. I put it down somewhere about a year ago. Yeah, well. I, 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 I'm kind of joking, believe it or not. I, I actually couldn't find a particular horn the other oh, day. I, like, I, I know it's here somewhere. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, awful, actually. You know, it's a. Uh, I'm a. I'm a full time church uh, musician. I'm a mm-hmm. church director and. Um, uh, so that obviously, whenever COVID hit, I actually be, uh, turned into a twenty-four-seven video producer. Yeah, there you and, go. Uh, we uh, we did our we have a, a fairly large church here. We have three services in a normal world, and uh, it turned to a situation where I was basically filming and all that stuff uh, pre-produced because we didn't do a live stream thing. So mm-hmm. it was um, the the trumpet went away and uh, to be very honest uh, be very open about it i actually went through massive depression um mm-hmm. last june july I, I i literally went to my doctor and said said man you've gained a little weight and i said i can't get out of the bed yeah. uh, much less think about music and that's unfortunate because you know all my life it's music is playing the trumpet in particular has been extremely therapeutic i mean you know if i uh, for me, on a spiritual side, that's the way I communicate with God, and uh, uh, and and just you know, in times of great happiness and great sorrow, I pick up my horn. I was a, when I was in, a senior in high school, my father died, and uh, one morning suddenly, and what did I do that night? I went to band practice because mm. it's always been a source of of uh, you know healing, and uh, I got I got to tell you, it was it, I, I I could not care less about playing the trumpet. Now over the winter it got a uh, somehow it got a little bit better. Uh, I, I practiced, started 
playing for a couple of months, pretty straight, pretty solid. Honestly, more for my kids, just so they could see that, hmm. you know, we're going to get out of this. We got we got to keep. But um, whenever things started to open up, Kentucky's doing pretty well as far as the COVID relief. Um, nice. And and uh, as that opened up, we started getting back into church a little bit, and so it's it's slacked off some. But we'll we'll see. We'll yeah, see. For sure. Like I said, it seems like uh, now that that light is kind of starting to get a little bit brighter at the, the end of the tunnel, it's getting a little bit more easier to start digging ourselves out. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that that you're doing better with that, for sure. Uh, Bob, how are you doing this last year? Have you been able to to find your horn <laughs> like like David? Um, well, we've had no gigs. Our mm-hmm. band has not, not had any gigs for, for several reasons. I'll get into when we talk about that. Mm. Um, I did have one good good thing. My grandson um, got into sixth grade, and I he started taking up horn lessons. And I've been mm. working with him and um, since the summer. And they just had solo and ensemble contest, and he played a solo and got a one on it. And the yeah, there you go. judge was very um, complimentary of him, and he's just tickled to death with that. Awesome! And, Congratulations. Uh, That's great. Yeah, my. And what's even more good about that, he has autism. Mm. And it's a a spectrum autism, which is a high level. He can tell you anything about volcanoes and skyscrapers. And, um, but uh, we tried him with with soccer and with basketball, none of those, and nothing like that worked. But he has taken to music and to the band. He's part of a group and Mm. he really enjoys it. And, um, so we, so I'm keeping up my horn playing with him, and um, we're playing little duets together and um, doing all kinds of things there. But as far as the band, um, nothing. We also the um, political climate around here is, um, it's kind of persona non grata to have a Confederate band to go out, mm. and um, also, but we do we do union, but we're not doing anything right now, and. Mm. Um, Yari and I may need to talk about this thing we're doing at Stones River in October. Um, I'm getting flack from some people that are afraid to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely uh, an interesting thing that's, you know, always kind of been in the, the back of our minds, I'm sure. But this last year, you know, for many reasons, uh, you know, it's it's come to the forefront for sure. When you're doing a when you're doing those those lessons, are you on your uh, on a modern horn, or you've been <laughs> picking up yeah, a, an over the shoulder or something? Horn. Horn. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, so I'm trying to get back in shape there. And when I play my my original horn, the um, the over the shoulder horn, I use original mouthpieces because the horn plays so much better in tune with mm-hmm. an original mouthpiece than it does when trying to do an adapter and a horn mouthpiece and things. Yeah, yeah but, I, but I haven't used the the um, the old horn for a while. Yeah, I, I was wondering once we started uh, getting back into some rehearsals and doing some playing with with our group here, thought that maybe the over the shoulder horns might actually be a little bit safer <laughs> with COVID, <laughs> right? If it's kind of all blowing the other way, so who knows? They they yeah, want this something. Unless you're definitely. in the second row or third row. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, then you're getting a face full of it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yari, how are you doing this this last year with uh, playing and, and horn maintenance and all that? Well, um, first of all, congratulations, Dr. Chris. Yeah, oh, um, thank you so much. <laughs> on your achievement. 
Thank you. Um, it's, it's great. Um, yeah, it's it's been it's been tough. Um, last year, you know, there were a lot of things that were on my calendar, including um, a, a concert doing a Rhapsody in Blue. Uh, some some big band, uh, well, small band, 1920s style music. Uh, and then, of course, all the church performances that I do. Uh, and then watching in uh, late February, early March as everything just, you know, canceled. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was quite discouraging for a while. Um, and what what happened over that time period, of course, is 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 I turned my energies into other things course everyone knows that i have i do a lot of other type events mostly with bugling so i i kept pretty busy you know still uh, handling funerals doing military honors sounding taps at those mm-hmm. uh ceremonies and then of course being involved with the taps across america last memorial day was a really big thing yeah. um and of course uh, kind of good to say is that that's going to happen again this year and it's going to be bigger uh than last year um as far as as far as the my personal playing it, it's been tough it's been really difficult you know i pull out you know uh, etude books you know and, and and try to keep my chops up um i even been on the lookout uh for a a, a box stradivarius trumpet um a mount, i've been Searching for a Mount Vernon, uh, a really uh, 1950s era, hmm. to match the the time that I was born. You know, find okay. a find a horn that's as old as I am. Oh, an antique. Okay, you're right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but as, as as far as the band goes, um, you know, we of course um, it, we, we've been suffering this past year with our, our lack of performances. Last April, we were scheduled uh, two performances, uh, one at the Arlington National Cemetery for the reopening of the um, Lee Mansion, um, but that got canceled. And then we had a thing down at a museum in Southern Maryland that also got canceled, but it was rescheduled for this year and we played it last weekend and it was very okay. successful. Um, this year, we were also invited to come back down to Military Through the Ages at Jamestown, um, Virginia. Um, that is an event that has been going on for years and years, and the attendance by the, all these groups who, who portray different uh, military groups from different uh, periods of time, that's been it's been overwhelming. However, this year it was about I'd say about fifty percent participation. Mm-hmm. However, there was very good crowds there. Uh, the band went. Uh, we did our best to remain socially distanced as possible, carrying around with us uh, masks when we were not playing. Um, so that was kind of good. Uh, several members of the Federal City Brass who live up in the Federal uh, in the Hagerstown Frederick area have been getting together on their own, meeting at our drummers, Garmin Bowers, at his house mm-hmm. um, and and practicing. So there's still, you know, because guys want to play. Um, yeah, so there's, there's, there's that happening. Um, as far as the future goes, uh, there is really nothing on our books right now. Um, so we're using this time. Garmin is uh, uh, graciously volunteered to go through our books and redo anything that has been lost, our small books, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, going through those books, making sure each part has a complete set of, um, of arrangements in it. Um, we we take particular care with those books in that we don't use regular paper when uh, we reproduce the music on it. We actually use a cotton paper. Uh-huh. Um, it, we find it lasts a lot longer. And then when we're stuck out in the rain, it it, uh, it, uh, it dries out pretty well. It doesn't crumple up. Yeah, so yeah. that's been happening. That's been happening. And of course, I've been keeping busy with other events as they come up. But uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, this pandemic passing and that uh, it opens up. I'm looking forward to the thing in October. And I know I'll talk with Bob about that. During this last year and a half, if maybe the horn was not in our hands as frequently as it was, were there other areas uh, in the music field, or maybe not in the music field, maybe other hobbies that kind of came uh, out of the woodwork? Like, did you get to do more research than than you had in the past, or or arranging? Uh, I know Stephen and I, we were both still in school, and we were able to tackle some of our doctoral research and stuff during this time. Yeah, were, were there any other areas of that sort of thing that any of you guys were able to explore more than usual? Well, yeah, uh, this is Jeff. Uh, we've uh, bought a new house, so I've spent some time uh, decorating and uh, and doing a lot of, uh, of stuff for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been taking some time and doing some arrangements for my uh, for my uh, jazz French horn group. I've got a six-piece blue note style group that uses French horn, kind of like Jimmy Heath's nice. uh, band with Julius Watkins. And we do a lot of classic jazz. I've been doing some, some uh, arrangements for that. I've got, actually got a gig coming up with the group on May 17th in Binghamton. So been putting some FaceTime in on the horn. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had an interesting gig on the over the shoulder alto horn not too long ago. Oh, yeah. uh, the uh, our, our friend uh, Stan Curtis got a, uh, a call from uh, Michael Borowitz at Louisiana State University looking for an original over the shoulder sax horn. Uh, the uh, opera department there was putting on a production of uh, Handel's Julius Caesar, and they wanted somebody to play Vatacita, uh, I see a huntsman, the, the aria uh, on uh, a period instrument. So uh, Stan put them in touch with me and they asked if they could rent the horn. And, and then they asked if they had someone who could play it, if I knew anybody who could play it. <laughs> but, you know, pay, pay me to come down there and I'll come play it. So they did, and I did. <laughs> Full Civil War uniform, over-the-shoulder E-flat alto sax horn, socially distanced outdoor production. On the uh, the stage was the porch and, and uh, steps and lawn of the, the uh, plantation that the university owns down there, the the, the uh, Magnolia Mountain Plantation. It was a pretty interesting gig. Yeah, yeah, so, there you go. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I know that, obviously, Stephen and I, this show started about a week in to the to the pandemic yeah. basically every it, this was always something that you know I, I had been thinking about and then basically a week in i was like well now's the time so we were able to kind of get this going uh what we're just over a year you know now with with having the show and and having the opportunity to kind of uh have these types of conversations with all you guys so i think that that was kind of a you know one of the the larger things besides the getting the doctorate you know two weeks ago and being able to finish that <laughs> But then, at least for me personally, I reflect a lot of your guys' sentiments too. I basically put down the horn since last March. I gave my last like performing recital on Euphonium 
the first week of March. And then I had I didn't really play after that until I started working up for the uh, lecture recital video on the the period horn that maybe some of you guys saw. Uh, Steven and I were able to work that up together. Um, but yeah, playing was definitely hard, especially when the motivation wasn't there. So I hear you guys all with that. Yep, definitely. Steven, yeah, how was your yeah? Plan? No, I was just I didn't realize or well, I guess I remembered, but looking back on it now, it's so bizarre to think, Chris, that your recital last March, like was would normal give or take you know a little bit like it was i think you did it and then like next week the university was like okay we're not doing anything in person i remember my 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 parents flew up from texas to to see Mm -hmm. that recital and then the day after we were walking around uh harper's ferry and we were getting like notifications on our phone about this coronavirus that was starting to pop up in the u.s or like oh that that might be significant but like (laughs) i still remember like seeing those like warnings on the phone like the day after it was crazy no but i've I've been in the same boat as uh, pretty much you know what everyone else has said i did my last performance recital in november um you know it was just me and my accompanist on stage and my fiance was in the audience and that was it it was live streamed um so but yeah after after i did that recital in november i put the horn away and i picked it up what are we almost in may now i don't know maybe i maybe i picked it up late february early march i didn't really touch it um yeah i didn't have anything going on and honestly i was feeling pretty burned out um so i didn't i just just sat in the case and i'd I'd maybe look at it every week buzz a little bit but (laughs) <laughs> I didn't play much at all, um, you know, and it, getting getting the dissertation proposal together and everything kind of, you know, kind of took over. So yeah. I'm a little behind where Chris is in my timeline of uh, Chris had a year into the doctorate before I got here. Um, so uh, but yeah, so I've been focusing on that, you know, really. And uh, it's it's been a little bit of a struggle finding motivation to do stuff that when there's no like real deadlines for anything. You know, there's nothing coming up is, is hard. So yeah, yeah. I definitely yeah. uh, echo everything that everyone has has said so far. Yeah. And then we've also been able to touch on the bands already a little bit, but then diving a little bit more into our organizations. Uh, David, I saw that that new album that you guys released. Was that something that was being planned before the pandemic? Or I know that a lot of that was uh, already recorded. So was that uh, something that you guys were able yeah, to kind of put together? It was all recorded and we had just talked about for several years saying, you know, we want to do, we want to do this album with this theme. And uh, David Henderson, who plays in the band and records all of that, he said, man, we've got enough stuff here that has that theme. Let's just at least do something just to put something out there. So, yeah, uh, no, we, we had not really, we did not have a timeline on it, but mm-hmm. uh, that was, it was nice to at least have something. It gave us a little bit of a kick <clears throat> there in the middle of the year. And, um, but, you know, like, like the other guys, we have not, I, we had a, we had a zoom meeting and by the way, we were so sick of zoom meetings. Uh, we had, we had a zoom meeting just this past week, just to touch base with everybody and see where they are and, you know, see if they're ready to even get back together. You know, what's, what's fill them out. And, you know, there's still some, uh, I don't want to say fear, but there's some caution, uh, we that's code for your wife will not have you doing any of that um uh, at this point just wait but we're 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 actually uh, more concerned less concerned maybe about the organization uh it's going to pan out you know know, this this whole scene the political scene everything around this is up in flux so we're just kind of letting the things fall in place and in the interim we're more concerned about just each other um 
And like somebody else said, we were just trying to get together to play. We're actually um, putting together a, there's a group that's going to go play at a bar on like July the 3rd, just to, in, a, in a quintet setting. We have some of Yari's uh, arrangements and things like that. And we're not really calling it Saxons because mm-hmm. we want to keep that as a, a separate brand thing. But, you know, it's some of the Saxons guys. It might be Saxons, Brass Quintet and Beer Drinkers. I'm not sure what we'll call it. but it, <laughs> That's it's a just, good name right there. I think yeah, it's a perfect thing, yeah. Uh, but we're just getting together to honestly just to care for each other. Um, just to see how we're doing and Saxons or you know, the, the organization itself, it'll, it'll take care of itself. It'll pan it. It's, it's probably going to be a while, but um, mm-hmm. you know, we're less concerned about that, more concerned about each other. And we live like a lot of the other guys in here, the, the band members, we live, you know, some of us hours away from each other. So yeah, yeah. just want to see, check in, in each other and uh, play, play together. Definitely. I think, uh, David, you hit on a really good point here about checking up on people. And uh, all of us here are, you know, know a certain collector, a world famous collector who lives up in Maryland. And uh, it wouldn't hurt to give him a call sometime and talk to him and see how he's doing. Because uh, I've been over his house and we've had a few people who've dropped over just to see him. And I can see what you're saying about we need to be looking in on each other. You know, last year when this started, I got a call out of the blue from a former uh, Air Force band commander, one of my commanders who was calling just to say, hey, how you doing? You know, just checking up. He says, I'm going through my phone book and just wanting to see how everyone's doing. So, you know, a a five-minute phone call can go a real long way at times. But uh, um we we all have friends who are in this hobby who have not been playing and you know been sitting at home and I I have one good friend of mine a trombone player in Maryland has barely ventured from his neighborhood since last year so yeah. it's important that we stay in touch David and I'm, thank you for mentioning that we've had a a situation here where we've had to try to I, I feel like organizations schools and jobs to a certain degree have almost because of this, they've almost tried to force, like we've got to get back together. We've got to do. And I think we've just, we need to take this opportunity to just put our hands up, say, hang on a second, man. We, we're in, we're in the absolute most unbelievably extraordinary times. This is when the human condition is primary above jobs, everything, every establishment, every organization, we need to take care of each other. And being together is such a, 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 a important part of that. And um, I think I think we need to just keep focus on that instead of trying to cram. You know, we got to get baseball season started back. Oh, yeah, okay, it'll happen. But it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there. No, 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 absolutely not. I, I will tell you after MTA uh, that Sunday when we left after spending you know two days together. I could sense everybody in the band was just like so happy to see each other and be, you know, be with each other. And it's, it's important and it's going to happen. It's, it's going to happen eventually. You know, we're not going to force anything. We'll see how things play out. Mm-hmm. Now, the few jobs that I've done, it's just been a joy to share a space with colleagues and friends and make music, do the thing that we love to do. I'm sure that all of us have lost friends and colleagues to this to this horrible pandemic i know i've lost quite a few uh 
some local musicians here who have died, including one of my band members, um, my mentor, one of my mentors, Howard Johnson, uh, didn't die of COVID, but passed away this year. My mom passed away in October. So it's been just a year full of death and tragedy. And whatever we can do to, you know, to come together as musicians and colleagues and friends and reinforce our, our caring for one another is so important right now. Um, COVID hit our band very hard. Um, we're, just, we're a quintet with percussion. And Warner Smock died on the um, yeah. 22nd of September. He was teaching lessons one day, got a cold, went in the hospital the next day. They put him on a respirator and he died a day later um, from COVID. And Warner was one of the founding members of Old Town Brass with me 30 years ago. And it's hard to replace a, a fine E-flat cornet player that um, he was the, the soul of our band. And um, it's just very, very hard to replace that um, for that. Yari, um, thank you for all the things you're doing with TAPS. I did three um, funerals last week. They finally released the military around here to do military funerals. And um, so whenever they get a request for a live bugler, I get an email. Excellent. That's great to hear. Thank you for we're, doing that. Thank you. Up here at Mason, when we were trying to film my, my lecture recital, we, in addition to you know everybody's own trepidations with getting together and playing and stuff, we had to adhere to university policy and guidelines and stuff too. So for the few rehearsals that we had leading up to that recording session uh you know we were doing similar yari what you guys were saying that you were wearing masks when you weren't playing percussion was always being masked but then on top of that the university wanted us to have spit receptacles to collect the spit so we weren't dumping it on the floor period correct spittoons yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) you know with some of some of those horns if you're you're turning them to try to get the water out it comes out of a completely different area and ends up you know (laughs) all over the place not in a confined area um they also wanted us to be playing in uh plexiglass shields so we were all in our own little plastic boxes uh couldn't hear the person literally right next to you was the the things came all the way around the sides the only person that could hear to some reasonable extent was Steven who was up front conducting. So uh, that was a unique challenge. And then when we got to the site and did the recording session, they ended up getting rid of those sound shields anyway, because the university had changed the, the guidelines like in between the recording session and our last rehearsal. And since we were struggling so much with the plexiglass, even though we hadn't rehearsed without them, we knew it would have made it easier to play just kind of dropping them. So that was a last minute decision, but definitely all those, uh, all that tape that we had to kind of navigate around during the session, we had to leave every 45 minutes and let the air circulate for 15 minutes. So there was, there was all kinds of different (laughs) situations that, that we were surrounding ourselves with that. And then on top of all that, before vaccines rolled out, we had a gig in October scheduled and we had one rehearsal for it because it was we were going to play stuff that we had, you know, been playing for years at this point, uh, just to kind of refresh. And between that one rehearsal and the gig, one of our players who lives in the dorms, his roommate, uh, tested positive. So we had to 
back out of the gig literally the morning of because we didn't find out until seven o'clock in that morning. So glad that a lot of that is, you know, hopefully on its way out and that we're able to navigate and not have to cancel gigs the day of because of COVID contact, <laughs> you know, for sure. The one positive thing I can say is I really think that once we achieve something like herd immunity, the, the pent up uh, uh, demand for live music is going to explode and uh, we're going to have another roaring 20s. Um, I, the one thing that I do have on the books for my band, which I can't really talk about, is, is a, a, a TV project that's coming up uh, within the next month or so. But uh, that's all I can say about it at this point. Yeah, but it, very it's cool. <laughs> getting us together. It's getting us, you know, playing and, and socializing. So we're we're looking forward to to things opening back up eventually. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I hear you with that. Keep us updated with uh, that project when you're allowed to talk about it. We can help, I will sp do that. help spread the word for sure. <laughs> uh, another project uh, that's not really Civil War related, but uh, you know we have the 100 Nights of Taps at uh, Gettysburg. Uh, mm -hmm. The Federal City Brass is going to play on Labor Day for that. So hopefully uh, the restrictions will be uh, a little re more relaxed by the time that rolls around. But uh, just to, to mention that last year we started off doing it uh, the, the the program as a virtual event and then it went um, live in in June this year um, there's the restrictions are, are still in place by the National Park Service about social distancing and things like that uh, but we're hoping that things will relax as the time as time goes on. I also have a big event planned for Arlington National Cemetery in November, and that's going to be several hundred people in the old amphitheater mm -hmm. um, with the army band and buglers from all over the country. So mm -hmm. we're keeping our fingers crossed with that, uh, that uh, things will be, will be all right. Uh, but it is interesting that still, when planning events, we have to make sure, working with the with the the event sponsors, that we are following you know the the COVID guidelines as you know set by the CDC. Um, but I'm hoping that uh, by summertime things are going to relax, and that uh, as we get into the fall, as Jeff says, there's going to be an outcry about live music, and I think. Uh, we're all involved with such a unique uh, musical, uh, um, I don't want to say product, but a unique musical thing that we do, that people will start looking at this from the you know historical uh, end and say, "Wow, this is great! Why don't we do a concert featuring you know um, you know this this type of music, mid nineteenth century uh, brass music?" I, I think it's going to come back. I'm sure many of us are in contact with people that are either uh, selling horns or on eBay and looking at stuff during this pandemic, the year and a half. Have you guys noticed if you've been looking or just been aware of the of the community? Have you been aware of any uh, changes in uh, instrument collecting in terms of like ha has more people been seeking out period instruments or have they been? getting more expensive or anything like that. Because I know, Jeff, you just posted 
the other day that that you have two recent acquisitions. <laughs> yeah, well, I've uh, I've noticed that a the prices have dropped since the uh, sesquicentennial of the Civil War ended, and there are a lot of people who apparently are in in a little bit of financial straits because I've seen a lot of instruments for sale at uh, half the price that they would have gone for five years ago, seven years ago. Um, but it's been an opportunity to to find and buy some nice instruments. Uh, I, I have to thank uh, thank Bob for this lovely bugle. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm honored and 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 pleased to own it, especially since it belonged to you, Bob. It uh, means oh. a whole lot more to me that way. It's, it's a this is one that I'll die with. <laughs> oh, oh, good. When that happens, make sure you got my number. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll make sure. I'll make sure Victoria has your number. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, my my great great grandfather was a bugler with the Fifth Alabama Cavalry, and um, as far as I know, he was buried with his bugle, and um, that's a, wow. a shame. Do you have the name of a cemetery? Up. <laughs> he's gonna show he, up with a shovel. Um, he started up <laughs> after the war. He was with Forrest um, at the end and was discharged. And he got a job selling shoes on the train. When the train would put in a pull into a station, he'd get on the last car and blow his bugle and attract attention. And then he'd start selling his shoes. He opened a big general store and. Um, he would get in his buggy each day and go around blowing his bugle all over the countryside and drumming up business for his store. This kind of character. character. You know, that's uh, something that has been common throughout history, using a bugle, you know, to attract attention. There was a guy down in uh, New Orleans uh, during the 50s who was selling uh, chicken, chicken and waffles, if you're familiar with that uh, dish down there. Um, they used to sell them off a cart, and he used to blow his bugle um, as coming down the street, and everybody would know that Sam the Bugle Man uh, would be coming down selling his chicken waffles. This guy, by the way, interesting, interestingly enough, had a, a G-regulation bugle, but played in jazz bands and actually recorded jazz solos on his G-bugle with uh, Dixieland bands. It's really wild stuff. Just look him up. It's Sam Sam um, the Bugler, a jazz player, not the not the bugler up in New York uh, at the racetrack. Sam the Bugler, but yeah, not that guy. Uh, This is uh, this is the original Sam the Bugler. Uh, Jazz uh, Jeff, you would be very interested to hear this guy playing jazz solos i mean he could only play on uh blues changes uh and they had to be in g the band will play to, in g. To look them up. I, I i actually have a friend who's a jazz french horn player uh you, you all know uh arkady shilkoper uh russian jazz french horn player fabulous and he plays jazz alphorn oh yeah so same kind of thing yeah yep. Yeah, there you go. So I'll 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 send you a link to some of those recordings, Jeff. You'll get a kick out of it. Thank you. <laughs> and then David, I know uh, since the the pandemic, you guys made the made the video of your guys's like brand change. I know that when we had our discussion, our interview with you a number of months ago, you were alluding that that sentiment or that desire to make that change had kind of been brewing for a little while, but then 
it seemed like the right time to kind of make that change. Uh, I'm sure everybody knows what we're talking about, but if if we're going to take that kind of step back, either David or if anybody wants to, to chime in uh, about the the state of the union or the 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 future of our hobby and and music making in this field. Well, I don't think we're going to see too many Confederate bands for a while, which is unfortunate. You know, it's history. And uh, even though I'm a damn Yankee myself, you know, playing in the 26 North Carolina has been one of the great experiences of my life. So, you know, we, I think we need to maintain a, 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 a perspective on these things. Is, is there a way that we can go forward with still teaching that history or presenting that music, but in a different way or a way that might be more acceptable uh, to today's audiences? Well, I think, of course, the music has to be presented, you know, in, in, in context of the times. Um, it, it is difficult. You know, a lot of people talk about what, what Jeff has just mentioned about probably there's not going to be very much Confederate bands. And the 26th North Carolina has always been a, a very interesting group in that, you know, we picked it because it was a band that was made up of these men from the small town of Salem who were basically religious men, part of the Moravian community there. They were the town band. And then they, the, the fact that they signed up for what they say to serve our country, you know, and basically what they meant by that was, you know, to serve, you know, our fellow, our fellow states, the guys who, who went off to war, our, our, our fellow citizens. That's that's why they 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 went off. Um, I don't think any one of them, you know, were trying to espouse any you know particular kind of political viewpoint. They were just going there to support you know the the men that they went off to war with by providing this this music that was really needed. Um, they fortunately you know they kept a, a really good diary. We know what they did. We know um, where they served and and how they played. And stuff, and of course, they came home after being, you know, spending some time in the prisoner of war camp, and they went back to playing music for the Moravians, you know, uh, church services and being the town band. It's just a unique little story, which I think needs to be told. Yeah, their their story is super uh, compelling and interesting and unique, and their their record keeping, you know, definitely uh, gives us the that closer connection to that band in particular. But I'm wondering if if we're talking about the 26th for a second, that since they were so unique and make us feel comfortable portraying their music or uh, portraying their image, but they are perhaps an exception to the rule, is it perhaps dangerous to be presenting that group where they might not be a representation of uh, the, the larger story? It, 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 yeah, it is difficult. Um, yeah. Someone else? <laughs> yeah, I, I heard two voices trying to... Um, oh, Bob, on, the, on the 26th North Carolina, um, we have all, all their music and all, and we try to present historical lessons like everybody else does. You know, we tell people about the music and where it came from and things like that. But my daughter, my wife, and a number of other people are afraid for us to um, go and be the, the big Confederate band 
in October at um, Stones River. And um, I've got to talk to Yari about it. We had, I guess, about a 30-piece band a few years ago, and the, the Union Army had a 30-piece band, and it was a real good event. Uh, we did some small ensembles, and then we came together and did a, um, a battle of the bands, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But there, um, our community in Huntsville, last June, we had a, um, a demonstration here in town, and it has really changed our community. And they've just had come out with a police report um, or a, a community active report on it. And they're blaming the police. And um, you can't speak up for, for the police today in our community. And um, we don't dare play in, in our, our own backyard here. Um, even though we could be in union uniforms. We have, we have played a number of gigs in union uniforms. And um, people say, well, you're a Civil War band, that's slavery. And um, we don't want that. Um, mm -hmm. So, oh, speaking about what we've done during the past year, I've, if you're familiar with Shutterfly books, I did a Shutterfly book on our band. Oh, cool. And um, with the pictures from our 30-year history of the group and um, a number of places where we play. And um, um, and in doing the research on my genealogy, I've just found out that my first cousin four times removed was the daughter of my great-great-uncle and um, our great-great-great-uncle and a slave that he owned. Mm. And so... Um, if reparations come about, that may save me. Um, I think that, that Bob's uh, comments point out the fact that that we need to keep doing this from an educational standpoint. If people aren't well educated on the topic, if they can't see it presented well and in historical context, they end up making, oh, assumptions and uh, that, that are not necessarily uh, correct. And I think the more people know, the more that it's presented to them, the, the better perspective they'll have on, on you know, not just the, the music and the bands, but on the entire uh, situation, the way that it is in the, you know, so, um, in the present day. Uh, Henry Saxton, for whom the band is named, there's Henry Saxton and then his son, Henry Saxton Jr., who would be the more uh, actual popular musician. He would make music, he would make music his career. Um, he would, Saxton's cornet band, as it stands, as a Civil War brass band, was only together for maybe two or three years. And the, the rest of his career, which would last until his death in 1915, he would spin as a conductor. He would go to Boston and he conducted at the Howard Athenaeum. He was a ranger composer. And he did a lot of vaudeville work, lots of it. And uh, in particular in Lexington, when he would come back, he, the, the, the gist of his career was Saxton's minstrels. Saxton's minstrels played thousands and thousands of performances. Hmm. Saxton's cornet band played dozens of performances um and 
I, I and I, we, Saxon's Cornet Band Modern, we will perform that music and we'll hopefully educate and historically accurately depict, put put it into context, uh, it, hopefully appropriately so, and draw all the attention to the music and even some of the bad stuff. Um, but just like we wouldn't dare go out and put on blackface and do the Saxon's minstrel shows, which was really what Henry Saxon did for 80% of his career. Um, you know, I, where, where does the, where does the civil war get a break in that? You know, we as society give, I think a little bit of that, a little, the civil war gets a, it gets a break in some of, of, of that where like the minstrel stuff wouldn't. And I'm not saying that that's actually correct in itself. Uh, you know, I think that there's, if you go back and look, especially at all the minstrel music, that stuff is fabulous. The music I'm talking about, mm. you know, but it's not, it's not worth, again, the human condition to, to, to make others uh, feel, feel bad. But at the same time, even with the minstrel stuff, you want to historically create a setting, like here's what this was. And this, mm. and here's exactly how it was presented. And man, I wouldn't dare, I wouldn't dare hurt you or anyone else to, to in order to do that. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, it's a tough argument. Uh, you, you don't, you don't win, uh, you know, and absolutely, especially with the 26th North Carolina, holy cow, man. I mean, that, that is a gem right there. And how dare you shove it under a shelf, you know, hmm. um, can't do that. Yeah. And it's interesting that the civil war itself as uh as an event in history, you know, has has drawn so much attention and interest from the public because it's it's seen as a crossroads for our country. In some ways, it seems like the the rebirth of our country. Uh, we have so many diary entries from individual soldiers. So you have, you know, obviously the the big epic battles, but then you also have the intimate soldier connections. You have the developments in technology and and the medical field and all these things that draw so much interest to that area as a research area that, uh, yeah, it with bands, like you're saying, that have such a long history that for us to pick four years or in Saxons even less, two years, like you mentioned, uh, it, it's more being drawn to that small window just for that, that interest in the, the time period, but may not be a reflection of, you know, obviously we say... I call it early American brass bands where we're saying, you know, 1835 to some unspecified, you know, ending date when it, wherever you want to call that. It's a, a the, long, a long history to draw from for sure. The war is great theater. I mean, you think, and I don't mean that uh, it really is. I mean, it was, yeah. it was so victor. I mean, all the diary entries and all of the battles were so huge, you know, I mean, it is grand theater. And, uh, and that makes it, uh, it's understandable how it has, ha- you know, again, a little short snippet of American history has had such a large impact on our society, um, good and bad. Uh, you know, it's just amazing. And I was just telling my 13 year old son yesterday about how, think about the snippet of time, you know, at, at 13, it was actually my younger son, it was the 11 year old. Anyway, uh, this little snippet in time where, it's technology and you know what 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 would have happened if the civil war hadn't happened in america would brass bands would the band that my kids are playing at school would it 
even exist or would it be to the same level? You know, will we have bands in public schools? Who knows? You have this lining up of the stars there for just a second. And again, the, the, the theater behind the war and how it was, it was, you know, was huge, such a huge event socially and every other way. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in our 30 years of getting together, um, wherever we go to play, we research the, the area. Um, we did a gig up in Canton, Ohio, and we found the Canton Zouaves March. Mm-hmm. And so we got that march out and uh, we, we played it. For there in um in all the gigs we played we have only been asked one time not to play dixie and this was an event up in franklin and so um when the the ladies when we were setting up the lady came out to us and said we um we we glad that you're here but we don't want you to play dixie today so we started packing up and i was getting out the check to give it back to her and uh, she said, wait, wait, you can't leave. I said, "You, the contract that we have with you says Civil War concert, and we're going to give you a Civil War concert. But there was no specification on music to play or not play. And uh, she said, well, um, you can play Dixie, but you've got to play Battle Helm of Republic. And, uh, and I said, well, do you want a Civil War concert or do you want us to leave? And um, so... We played Battle Helm of the Republic, and we played Dixie, and everybody stood for Dixie anyway. But that's the only time we've ever been asked not to play a particular song. And it's funny, we've got three Confederate arrangements of Dixie, and we have, I think, 12 Union band arrangements of Dixie. And the better music is in the Union band arrangements of Dixie. With, uh, except possibly the 26 North Carolina that we like. But mm-hmm. the one we like to play is the one from the um, the First Brigade Band, and it has all the reels with it. We use that in dances and fun. Yeah, we've been asked one time in 20 years to not play Dixie, and that it was in the contract. So we didn't play Dixie, even though it was part of the, part of the program normally. Uh, but we generally don't run into that type of thing. I do want to add, though, that as musicians, as, as professionals, our, our, our field is subject to the whims of popular taste, and this too shall pass, okay? We, 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 have, uh, we, have to, we have to cater to the taste of the audience, and, and you know, we, we're hired by people who want us to play this music or we're not hired by people who don't want to hear this music and we we have to roll with the uh, with the punches as far as the market is concerned the market goes up the market goes down we get hired we don't get hired uh and a lot of it depends upon the the uh, political climate at any given time and you know just like always as i said this this too shall pass uh, at some point there will be a market for this music again um if not immediately uh, I, I see it in the not too distant future. At least I hope I have my fingers crossed. Um, Speaking about Dixie, the, the stories we tell, we've got about a dozen stories about Dixie and the one we'd like to tell center around Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Everybody yeah. loves Abraham Lincoln and we tell him what, what he did when, um, the first time he heard it. And then we tell him what he, what he said when Lee surrendered and different things. There are a lot of stories about yeah. Lincoln. 
appendix. We do the same, the exact same thing in our group and people eat it up. They love it yeah. know, because it puts it in a historical context, which is extremely important for this movie. And I, I do agree. <clears throat> we, we tell a lot of the same stories when, when we've been in situations where we were playing Dixie. Um, but don't we think also at the same time that even though we're playing on the instruments, wearing the uniforms, playing music from that time period, the, especially Dixie, because Dixie is such a, a unique piece of music culturally that the piece of music didn't only exist during the Civil War also. It has uh, you know, been a part of the American repertoire or culture since then and been in college fight songs and all that kind of thing. So the meaning of it has been adapted and changed since the Civil War also. But I'm presenting this in in a way that... I would think, I would that, think that it's mean? actually... Yeah, you're correct. I would think that even... I think that it has... Uh, I think it has less harm during the Civil War. I think yeah, it has more yeah, than probably in the post-Civil War whenever you had hate groups and things like that who were yeah, only, I was getting it. Yeah, yeah they're, sure. they're, they, they bought it, you know, the KKK mm-hmm. or whoever, you know, they, they took it on and therefore they changed the, the narrative. Yeah. To be quite honest. The same way that the, uh, the, the Confederate battle flag was uh, appropriated yes. by a lot of these hate groups, mm-hmm. you know, Dixie itself exists in band arrangements throughout the latter part of the 19th century and into the 20th century in medleys and it was it is was and probably still is if you look in in community songbooks when you look in you know patriotic selections you know america the beautiful my Mm -hmm. country tis of the battle hymn of the republic star spangled banner dixie dixie there it is um but it, it, it certainly has been, you know, it, it, it has changed, especially within the, uh, the past, what, uh, three, four decades. One of the things about performing it, you know, I always feel is that in the settings that we perform in, you know, it, it, it's like people who come to these events where we are, are, are performing know what we're going to be doing know that it's a civil war event know that it's going to be civil war music you know these aren't uh, guys who are going to a, a truck rally who are expecting to hear beethoven's fifth symphony you know they're they come in to an event knowing what you know this band's going to play um and if, if you choose to have dixie as a part of your repertoire would you then choose not to play it if you're doing a concert where you're on like the street corner of a a modern town, you know, not in a historical event setting. If you get hired for like a concert in the park kind of thing. Context. I, you know, I always go back to this, you know, context, context, context. One thing I'll never, ever, ever do is play Dixie in the, in the Gettysburg National Cemetery or on Little Round Top. Hmm. I won't do it. Mm-hmm. That's 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 places I won't. Um, however, uh, and I probably won't play it on the street. You know, if if we're playing, um, if somebody says, "Hey, can can your group go on on the main street here between you know First and Second Avenue and play?" Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but if if we're doing a concert that's a Civil War concert, or we're at a Civil War you know encampment. 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, or, or MTA. We played it at MTA. Um, and, and as a matter of fact, the way we played it, we walked over to the, 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 the guys who were um, reenacting a Confederate group, and we played it for those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, context, I always say. Um, and, and we have to be, you know, we have to be careful. We have to really think about it. Yeah. Uh, I went to Alabama and a member of the Alabama Million Dollar Band, um, Bear Bryant and everybody, that was there for Bear Bryant's heyday. In the middle 60s, um, the state legislature passed a resolution that all state schools had to play at the football games, the Star Spangled Banner, the Alabama State Song, and Dixie. And we were required to play Dixie for two years when I was in the band. Um, at Alabama football games. And um, so that's just where where we were brought up. And uh, then they, they passed more re- legislation after that to, to do away with playing that. Just kept the Star Spangled Banner. You know, I, I'm thinking along the same lines, the argument that is about the, the, the whole statues of Confederate generals and everything, that a lot of these were put up um, in the early part of the 19th, uh, the 20th century with the rise of, of these uh, hate groups and uh, these white supremacy groups that were saying, we're going to build these monuments to stick it in your face, basically. Um, and, and, and it could be along, musically, that could be along the same lines where all of a sudden they're saying, we're going to make sure and play Dixie and put it in your face all the time. You know, that's that re- reappropriation or misappropriate, whatever you want to call it. The same way they, they took it with the with the Confederate flag and the, the whole thing about Confederate statues. Musically, this would be the thing. Now, I, I don't think that has gotten as much attention as, you know, the statues or the flag, because I don't know how many people really know the tune Dixie. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Yeah, there, there's more statues than there are bands playing the song, I, I guess, too. I don't know if y'all know this, but on President Biden's desk is an executive order. And it says to remove all Confederate statues and all Confederate plaques from all federal parks. Now, that means the Lee statue at Gettysburg comes down. The Stonewall Jackson statue at Manassas comes down. And all the markers for Confederate troops come down. All it takes is his signature. What about cemeteries? You know, I, I visited the Confederate cemetery at Point Lookout last weekend. Um, it's it's a it's it's run by the Veterans Administration, and it has a large statue that covers the massed graves of three thousand Confederate prisoners who died at Point Lookout. So what happens? So I, you know, that's it's another discussion to get into. <laughs> you know, I I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a tricky tricky waters to navigate for sure. But I don't have this this quote or research in front of me. Also, but I recall reading a uh, veteran of Getty, Gettysburg account of being upset when they were gonna put the first Confederate monument up in Gettysburg and I remember reading an account of a Union soldier being upset that there was going to be a Confederate uh, statue put up there so I know that since the beginning 
you know, there was kind of this debate happening. Um, so it's been going on for 160 years almost now. Um, well, in Gettysburg, it certainly is, you know, segregated. I mean, the, the, you, all the Union monuments are on one side and all the Confederate ones are on the opposite side. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it. This is going to be a discussion that's going to go on for some time. I, 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 I don't know. Here in Baltimore, we've had, you know, several monuments that have been removed. Um, the... Uh, Stonewall Jackson, the Lee Jackson Memorial statue was removed. Uh, they removed a Confederate uh, statue uh, for the Army and Navy that was downtown. Um, Francis Scott Key's monument has been defaced. Uh, they also removed uh, Justice uh, Roger Taney's statue. Uh, uh, statue that is downtown Baltimore in Mount Vernon place. And they are undergoing right now a, an extensive look at all the statues in the Baltimore area. The mayor just announced this uh, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're they're going to have a commission to, to, to reassess every monument in Baltimore. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see how that happen, what happens with that. Interestingly mm-hmm. enough, Baltimore's nickname has been the Monumental City. But uh, we'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, yeah. We, now, for oh, sorry, go ahead, Bob. Yeah, we had a um, Confederate statue um, to the troops that was put up um, right about 1900 in Huntsville, and it was on the courthouse steps. Um, I've got pictures of Union troops um, camped around the courthouse, and um, we had a big Confederate monument there, and the county commission this past year removed it and put it in the old cemetery we have in town where the confederate soldiers are buried now they've got it they've got a big fence around it to keep people from defacing it but there was a a lot of marching about it and and all people didn't like it he is uh the county commission is facing a twenty five thousand dollar lawsuit from the state because there's state legislation saying you can't remove monuments that have been in place for 40 years and this one's been in place for for lo- longer than forty years, and mm-hmm. um, so there's a lot of trouble with that. Yeah. That is an issue, actually, because a lot of these monuments have been uh, on private property or put uh, up by uh, trusts and and stuff, mm-hmm. and so for a municipality uh, to come in and remove something without going through the proper. Uh, procedures as it were uh can be seen as illegal and so yeah i can see lawsuits happening um that's just you know that's something that's just have to be worked out i guess as as musicians unfortunately we don't have a lot of say in in (laughs) monuments and stuff but we but we do have the the uh the say and whether or not we we play the certain music and stuff and going back to david's original point with uh, the fact of symbols changing and interpretations changing and stuff it's just an interesting thing that as jeff said we'll we'll see how the cards lay and and be able to adapt to however uh our audience's perceptions and stuff change and and we'll be able to continue one way or another it'll it'll continue <laughs> 
Yeah, I really think that uh, it's up to us to keep this history alive. Um, I would hate to see all these instruments, you know, wind up in museums or packed away somewhere. Um, there is there is a future for, you know, Civil War bands. And uh, we're sort of the old guard right now. And we need to look to, you know, younger folks like uh, both you and Chris and Stephen, you know, to keep keep this going. And hopefully there's going to be other, you know, groups springing up around the country who are interested in this and the, the, those instruments will find their way into their hands and they'll continue doing this instruments and music, I should say. Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, I'd, uh, I'd agree. The, the, uh, the whole point of doing this is that we really are custodians of this music, of this heritage and of these instruments. And it's our responsibility to pass those along to the generations that follow. So, you know, I, I don't expect to be around for the uh, for the uh, the bicentennial of the Civil War. Um, I would be over 100 years old at that point. Um, but I hope that the instruments that that I and all of us have preserved and the music that we've researched and done uh, additions of will pass on to those folks and that it'll engender an enthusiasm the same way that uh, that it engendered enthusiasm with us for the 150th. So you know, hopefully that history will, will be continued to be researched and, and celebrated and and uh, be be relevant to coming generations. Do you guys think there'll be any uptick as we get closer to the 175th, or do you think it's it'll go 150th and then 200th? <laughs> I, I think there's going to be some. Uh, there'll be an uptick at 175. It's it's always been that way, um, but before we get there, we have to. You know, we've got the uh, 250th anniversary of our country coming up hmm, very very rapidly. That's uh, in uh, 26. Mm -hmm. So there's there's going to be a lot of interest in in colonial music there. So let's let's get out our bassoons and oboes and French horns and stuff. And more uniforms to buy. <laughs> and wigs. Don't forget the wigs. <laughs> I'm polishing my shoe buckles right now. There you go. <laughs> hey guys, I've already got the uniform. I'm in the Sons of American Revolution, and we've got us our our little um, fife and drum. Um, depending on what we need, I either play bass drum or fife. We've got a good snare drummer in our group. And um, so we're already doing it. That place. We do a lot of school programs on music of the American Revolution. When it's mm -hmm. right. You know, I, I may kid a little bit, but, you know, you know, historic music, you know, it can be found. We could play, you know, the arrangements of civil, I mean, American Revolutionary War music. You know, we're also looking at, um, I think it's the 200th anniversary of the death of Thomas Jefferson and John Adams in 26. And also, uh, in two two or three years, uh, they are going to be celebrating the 200th anniversary of Lafayette's historic visit to the United States. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of music uh, uh, associated with that performed by brass bands of the early 19th Francis, century. Francis Johnson, Francis Johnson. 
there you go. And you know, that's a really, a really great thing to uh, look at. Francis Johnson, other African-American musicians at the time who were performing this, the start of uh, the, the bands at uh, the United States Military Academy, the U.S. Marine Band, uh, the influences of not only African-American music, uh, we, if somebody can do research, there's probably some women composers also who, who, who provided musics. So this would, this could be the project for the next generation. Yeah, I, th I was going to say, I think that we've laid, we, the people that you're seeing here today and, and others, even a generation before us, going back to Fennell, I mean, they've laid the groundwork for a lot of this and we've been the caretakers for a while. I do think the next step does, I think the next step focuses less, uh, maybe I'm coming at this with my Saxons hat on, but I think it's less about the Civil War. I think it's about, about a, a broader scope of about 20 or 30 years there, uh, even before and then after the Civil War. Civil War is obviously the biggest event that goes along with that and the catalyst for a lot of the equipment and a lot of the music and everything else and set the, and set the parameters for what the band was. But I think that the next step in, in, in keeping this going looks at all the other different composers and things like that, you know, and, and also, as we talked in our and the podcast that I did with you, I think that has to have a bigger role in the uh, curriculum in the colleges, uh, in particular, uh, to understand the history of band. Uh, I'm not talking like it has to be an entire course, although it could be at a graduate level. But you know, if you're if you're going to go out and teach school and teach instrumental music, it would not hurt you to have a good week or so on the history of the foundation and formation of the the band movement in America. Yeah. yeah. And it starts yeah. right here. You know, Absolutely. I've thought the same thing for, for since I started playing this genre of music that whenever I've done like a, a brass clinic or a, even a jazz clinic or, or a, a, any kind of educational musical thing, most of the kids have no idea where their instruments came from. They don't have any idea of the history of how their bands came to be the way they are, why their instrumentation is the way they are, even you know where where valves came from. They have no idea, and and it this this uh, lack of information carries all the way up through through college and through the professional musical world people don't don't have a clue where things came from and i've always found that it that it it informs how i perform the music to have the knowledge of what instruments these were written for how they play the characteristics uh, you know the, of the playing characteristics of the instruments and and you know it it, it informs the performance and maybe even more, maybe more importantly, is also the role of music socially yes. as it played out during that time period. I mean, it, it, it's totally different now, you know, oh, yeah. it played such a large role. And I mean, there was no, there were, you know, there were no TV, no iPods, no, you know, iPod. <laughs> That's dated. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, Spotify, no social media, you know, to have parlor music to go hear the band concert was more than just, it was a, it was a social communal event in a very young country. And we're still young. We're 200, 250 years old and we're still young. Yeah. There's a, there's a great book, uh, but there's a, there's a great book that every musician should read 
I can't remember the, the, uh, the author, but it's entitled Men, Women, and Pianos. And it's about the, the social constructs around music in the 19th century. And it's a, it's a fantastic read. Uh, and and it, it, it will inform about the, the, how, how the social constructs of the 19th century developed around the music of, of the era. So. Um, many of you know George Foreman, who was very instrumental in the uh, Great American Brass Band um, contest or concerts. He was at the University of Georgia. For the past four or five years, I've loaded up a truckload of horns and taken them over to his brass majors that are at the University of Georgia. I've done a Civil War um, horn clinic with him, and then we put a horn in their hands and we play Civil War music. We had about 30 students and, and some of the professors in there that did that. And another thing about passing the horns down to the next generation, there's a, a group out of um, Bardstown, Kentucky. David, you may know these people that have, have a band going, and um, they're getting some very good horns for their band. I bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know, like at at our school, and what a, a big focus of my dissertation was on was a big combination of literally everything everybody just said was trying to uh, teach the the history of the bands, the the social elements, trying to get the instruments in the next generation's hand. Because the thing that's been really rewarding to see at Mason has been the interest in playing, and the band is outweighing the the instruments you know that we have and now that we have a handful of period instruments it becomes increasingly more difficult to blend <laughs> period and modern instruments so for for tuning and and all those kinds of things but we've uh yeah i'm really proud that you know we're able to see that that interest is there and it seems like it's both giving them the hands-on experience like bob was just talking about gives them the the education going into being usually band directors in the field, like Jeff and David were just saying. So I, I think it's a, a good formula that can hopefully be adapted by, by other schools going forward. We did at the, the concerts in the park, and this goes back to something David was saying. Um, Huntsville is a very military town. We have the Redstone Arsenal here, and now we've got the Space Command coming here, if it ever gets here. And... Um, <laughs> We have done some concerts in the park where we do military history or military music in America. And we start at the American Revolution and take it through the current day. And we pick the different wars, World War I, World War II, and we pick um, War of 1812. And we play a, a number from that particular time. And we end with either God Bless America or God Bless the USA. And, um, and that really... It educates the people there. They all are military people just about that are in our audience out there for those concerts. And um, that's something you can do. Yeah, we've done a, a similar program with uh, patriotic music from pre-revolutionary period all the way up through the, the modern era. Um, we've done it with, with the, the, the Excelsior Band on period instruments, but it would be applicable to any kind of small brass ensemble. You know, two centuries of uh, of American patriotism. You know, I think yeah. that, that you know, that's gone over very well every time we've done it, and I think it would be uh, you know uh, another avenue to look at for promoting this type of music. I know America's Brass Band out in California does a similar thing where they start with Civil War brass, 
and go to like Western frontier, late nineteenth century brass, and then end with John Reese Europe for World War One. Oh, they yeah. kind of they show it like that kind of progression there. So yeah, there's there's definitely those types of uh, demonstrations and and things that I think could be a good way forward as well. This has been this has been great, and we can't thank the four of you enough for, uh, you know, first finding a time where all six of us could get on our computers at the same time. But <laughs> definitely, thank you for taking the time out of your uh, days to do this with us. Um, so maybe we can start with Yari and go around the horn here, and uh, just you know, any events you've got coming up uh, or, or anything you want to you know bring some attention to. Now is your time. Go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so Yari, I know you've got a lot going on, so There's we can start with you. A lot of, st- a lot of stuff going on. Uh, we are preparing right now uh, for a couple things coming up in May. The first thing, of course, is the opening of the 100 Nights of Taps at Gettysburg, uh, where we have a bugler that sounds taps in the National Cemetery each evening at 7 p.m. That actually is going to go to September 11th this year. We're going to end on that day and also commemorate the 20th anniversary of Mm 9-11. We opened up registration for that last uh, back in March, and we only have four dates left open for that it's uh, just about filled which is is great speaks well for wendy allen who founded the program um the other thing of course is taps across america that's also going to happen on memorial day at 3 p.m buglers from all over the country will be sounding taps at 3 p.m local uh, we have CBS involved uh, once again this year with Steve Hartman's On the Road program. Uh, right now, we have close to 400 people signed up. And as the month goes on, I'm sure we're going to get thousands and thousands uh, of participants for this great event. Uh, then after that, I'm going to catch my breath for about a day or so and jump right into um, stuff for November. Um November 11th this year is the centennial of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Um, musically speaking, I'm involved with this, working with the Society of the Sentinel Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and the World War I Commission uh, to talk about the musical aspect, taps at the tomb for 100 years. We'll be commemorating the three buglers who sounded taps 1921, uh, 1958, and 1984. Those three buglers, um, army buglers, um, who sounded the call for the internment of, of the World War One, then World War Two, Korean, and then Vietnam. Uh, we're going to do a special ceremony in their honor on uh, Sunday, November 7th at 10 a.m. at Arlington National Cemetery. Should be a really terrific program. We actually have the granddaughter of the bugler who sounded taps in 1921 who will be there. Uh-huh. Uh, we also will have special invited guests, um, including uh, tomb, of the, uh, tomb guards and hopefully the uh, either grandson, I think it's the grandson of Hamilton Fish, the person who um, actually introduced the resolution to get the tomb happening. So that's a big thing. In the meantime, <laughs> as if there's not enough going on, uh, the World War I Commission uh, opened up the new National World War I Memorial in Washington, D.C. Uh, earlier the, uh, in April. Um, 
and they are looking right now at having a bugler sound taps at the memorial every day starting just before Memorial Day and going uh, past Veterans Day. So that's uh, 25 weeks, 175 days of taps. Oh, and if it goes well, they're thinking about trying to do it every single day like uh, they do in Europe, in Belgium, uh, at, the, um, at the monument. So that's going on. Uh, of course, I'm keeping up with all kind of uh, research, uh, bugling and Civil War stuff. That's never going to end. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully try to get concert bands started. The Maryland Military Band started up uh, in the fall so that we can start performing again because people are itching to play. And last but not yeah. least, getting the Federal City Brass Band up and running again. Definitely. Looking forward to seeing all your active Facebook accounts, keeping us up to date with all those things. And we'll be sure to to share and plug in and do all we can on our end to, to help spread the word as well. Well, thank you. And one thing I did not mention is, is that uh, the social media aspect has been really important. Trying to put up like videos of uh, clips of the federal city brass playing just to to keep, you know, the idea that, Hey, this music is out there trying to get it on YouTube, doing little uh, videos like on bugle calls and stuff. And, and unfortunately, this is the weird part. I keep getting copyright claims uh, on YouTube uh, on live performances of bugle calls. Uh, I have me sounding uh, taps and the tattoo and another call, and boom, I playing it live. And then I get a copyright claim from a third uh, party saying that th- those calls come from some some CD. So it's really weird. Either, you know, their algorithms are really bad or my playing is really good. I don't know. But so that's a pain. It's really a pain. And it's, uh, and I, you know, I'll be the first to admit, you know, I, I try to put up those videos to try and monetize, make a little money doing that. You know, we've got to try to make money every, any way we can. So it's, yeah. it's discouraging when you get that copyright claim. But, but it's important that we keep, you know, keep attacking social media with this music. Yeah. And the annoying thing with YouTube is that when you dispute it, usually the person that filed the claim doesn't review your dispute. So you have to wait for the 30-day ticker to go down. And that's, that's yep. always annoying. Yep. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry that's happening with uh, all the YouTube stuff. They're terrible with uh, anything not pop music with the copyright stuff. They're they're bad <laughs> at the classical, getting the copyright stuff for the classical music right. But okay, next up on my screen is uh, is David. David, is there anything uh, you want to highlight? Any any recent stuff from Saxton's or or anything like that? No, uh, we're we're basically just we're taking care of each other. Like we said, we're just trying to get back into just seeing each other and. Uh, we've just put Saxons on the back burner for a while. You know, it's just, it's there. And uh, mm-hmm. I have actually dabbled in, uh, I've all, for the past 30 years, I'm the, I'm the Henry Saxton historian. I, I know about, know more about him than his actual family who's still alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got some stuff on the LOC site that I've actually thought about arranging and doing things like that. But, you know, no, nothing, nothing pressing. We're just trying to baby step into it and hopefully, um, you know, the new album we have is out and I think it's doing pretty well. And so just, we're still there. 
Awesome. Yep. Well, we'll yeah. link to the the new album and perhaps our album discussion as well. <laughs> right. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, definitely check in on your on your friends and neighbors and and check out <laughs> check out that album as well. Um, great. Okay, uh, Bob, you're up next. <laughs> okay. The only thing on our calendar right now is Saturday, October 16th, and that's Stones River. And we've had, um, I guess, somewhere around 30 to 35 people registered saying they want to come. The group from California that came to the last one wants to come. They're, they're, they bring a band. They don't ever get to play Confederate. Everything's union out in California, and so they want to come as Confederate. I sure hope they they get to come. I've got the music books ready, and um, it should be a very nice event. But um, we're getting a lot of flack from um, from different sources about you shouldn't have Confederates. You shouldn't be honoring the Civil War and things like this. The Park Service really wants to put this on. Uh, Jim Henry, the, the park historian there that has done the, the last ones there, um, he really wants the event. So um, we've got people from Ohio that want to come down, um, Virginia and other places. And it, it's a it's a fun day. Um, we have two big rehearsals in the morning and then we divide up in some little groups and do, do places on the various parts of the battlefield. And then that evening, about five o'clock, and Yari is the union band conductor. And then we've got Nikki Hughes coming to um, be the narrator, narrator for it. And um, so we'd really like to, we, we sure hope this, this comes about. That's the only thing we have on our calendar right now. <clears throat> Keep us up to date with that. And obviously we'll uh, as well plug that on our socials and stuff and, and try to get a group together to both play and attend. So keep us up to date. Definitely. Cool. And uh, last, but certainly, certainly not least is, is Jeff, Jeff, what's going on with you? I'm hoping that my performance schedule will fill up. It's starting to fill up for the summer. Uh, you can check out my performance schedule at jeffstockham.com. Any uh, Excelsior or Cornet band dates of which there aren't any yet would be also be posted on ecband.com or excelsiorcornetband.com if you want to spell it out and, and misspell it out. <laughs> um, I'm also, I'm just starting a project. Uh, a, a few years ago, I, I was able to acquire a uh, locally built cornet by George McFadden of Syracuse, beautiful little instrument uh, that was inscribed with the name uh, of the leader of the Canuno Carnival Band of Syracuse, which formed in the late 1800s and was one of the top society bands in Syracuse uh, for, for popular uh, music events. So uh, I'm gonna be doing some research on, uh, on uh, uh, S.W. Wilson, the leader of the Canuno Carnival Band, and uh, maybe something will come of that. Um, and I'll be you know, hopefully doing my normal jazz performances and, and big bands hopefully are going to start up again before too long. We'll get back in the saddle with those. And I'll be, of course, doing some events with Yari for uh, for uh, 100 Nights of Taps and, and with the Federal City Brass Band, which I'm very much looking forward to. Um, and I'm just hoping that, that we'll see some semblance of normalcy before very long. I think that sentiment is echoed amongst all of us, for sure. Well, guys, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your Friday to speak with us. Uh, it's hey, great hey, Chris, seeing you. I want to speak for the whole group. 
thank you and thank Stephen for putting on all of these um, podcasts and, and doing this and all. You are really helping promote um, what we do. And uh, here, 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 here. Thank yeah. you for, for putting this on and and all the other work that you're doing. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I know Stephen and I we do put put a lot of time into this so we know that uh, or we appreciate the the sentiments and glad to hear that that people are listening <laughs> so that's always yeah. that's always a good thing i'm looking forward to the chance where i can meet you guys in person and sit down and have a drink and play a few songs you know i think that'll be a a good time when we're able to do that all together because unfortunately it's all been or i guess fortunately that uh all virtual we've been able to meet and communicate these ways but you know it, as the theme of the discussion today, you can't beat playing with each other. So looking forward to when that can happen <laughs> in the future. Yeah. All right, guys, thank you so much and uh, have a great rest of your day. <laughs> great. Thanks a lot. Great thank to you, see you guys. Uh, great yep, to see you too. You. Thank you again so much to Yari, Jeff, Bob, and David for coming on to the early American brass band podcast to experience our first panel discussion. We really enjoyed having that conversation and are, like we said, looking forward to uh, seeing this light at the end of the tunnel and getting back into playing and hopefully being able to see each other and play together once again. Yeah, we definitely appreciated their time and hope you enjoyed our uh, season two finale. And I'd just like to take a moment to thank everyone for their support over the past two seasons. We've done 40 episodes in a little over a year uh, of something that neither Chris and I had done any sort of podcast related stuff before this. So <laughs> we appreciate your support, uh, especially those of you who are kind of with us from the start and, and uh, you know, people who maybe have found the show recently. You can uh, follow along with us on all social media platforms. And if you'd like to support the show, uh, we have a Teespring store and a Patreon page as well. So you can go check those out if you'd like to support the show even more than just listening. Our featured album, or should I say albums for this, uh, for this episode, um, we, we chose the most recent album from each of the bands that were represented uh, in today's episode. So um, from Saxton's Cornet Band, that would be Sounds from the Opera House. That's their most recent one. Uh, and we've actually done an album review of that as well. So that's up on our YouTube page. And I think it's in the podcast feed too. So you can do a deep dive into that album with us. Um, for the Federal City Brass Band, uh, that their album would be Hurrah for the Union. And then Old Town Brass would be Yankee Yankee Bands in Dixie's Land and uh, the Excelsior Cornet Band album Cheer Boys Cheer. So you can find links to stream and purchase all of those albums on our website, uh, along with show notes for every episode and a whole host of other resources. Um, so those are the four for today, one from each band uh, that we had a representative from on the show. So we do hope that you'll check those out. Thank you guys for listening to Season 2. If you are behind on episodes, feel free to go back and listen. Follow us on social media so that you can be up to date with when Season 3 will be starting. Uh, at the moment, that is TBA. So follow us on social media to, uh, to stay up to date with us there. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next season.